In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Even though this is the third Sunday of Easter for us, and a lot of time has passed, um, months maybe even instead of weeks, depending on how your quarantining is going, um, for the disciples, it is still Easter day. And for some reason, two of the disciples have peeled off from the rest of the group. We're not really sure why, but they are going home to the village of Emmaus. And as they walk the seven miles home, they are talking about Jesus and they're struggling. Because even though the text tells us that they were astounded by the discovery of the women, they don't appear to believe that this is good news. So what we might imagine would have been a, a joyful walk home, a chance to go share the good news is actually a journey of despair. They are still walking and talking about who they thought he was, about their dashed hopes and about their broken hearts. And as they're traveling, they meet a stranger on the road who begins to interpret scripture to them and explain to them all the things that they've seen over these last few years with Jesus. And the text tells us that that stranger actually is Jesus, but that the disciples don't recognize him. He opens up God's word to them and explains everything about himself, the references in scripture, all the way back through the generations. Everything about the Messiah, about the one who is coming into the world. And it's worth just taking a second here to marvel at that, because there's so much about scripture that we don't understand. This text is filled with strange stories and odd contradictions with hidden meanings and sort of sacred treasures that we have yet to uncover. We have so many questions. So what would it have been like to suddenly find someone and walk with them as they explained all of it, as they narrate the story from beginning to end and explain the story of God's power and God's intention to save all of creation, the unfolding of that over thousands of years and over generations, and then to have that happen and still not know who this stranger is, that it's Jesus. It would be easy to judge the disciples, I think, because they still don't see him, even though he's right in front of them. But really, we would be wrong to do that because they are so distressed and so overwrought. And we know that his body has been changed somehow after the resurrection. We can imagine how thick their grief and their sense of hopelessness is on this walk back to Emmaus. And even in the midst of that, when they come to Emmaus, and he acts like he's going to continue walking and pass the village, the disciples insist on offering him hospitality, something that the scriptures always smile upon. And so the stranger comes in, even though they're at their lowest point, it's important to them to offer him a meal and a place to rest. And so in the midst of this meal, he takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And that pattern, that formula, that way of taking, blessing, breaking, and giving is what lets them see Jesus. It's what he does at the Last Supper, and it's what he does over and over again with his life and with his love and ultimately on the cross with his body. So this is what breaks the spell. This is what jolts them sort of back to life, and suddenly they're awake and they see him. And then when he vanishes from their sight, they realize that they have to go back to Jerusalem now in the middle of the night, even though it would have been a dangerous trip because this news is just too good. And they have to share it right now. 
They have work to do, hope to offer, and a story that will change the world around them. Imagine too for just a minute what they would have missed if these two disciples hadn't invited the stranger in. If they hadn't decided to show hospitality in this moment, even though they were grieving, even though they were sad, imagine what hope and what sweetness they would have missed if they hadn't invited him in. I have to admit that this week, um, I did something I don't normally do, which is I put off writing this sermon as long as I possibly could. And that's really not like me. Most of you, if you know me, I, I read the text for Sunday on Monday and I work on it sort of every day, a little bit all throughout the week. But I knew this week that it was this story of the road to Emmaus, where they come to know him in the breaking of bread. And this story exists in scripture to teach us, to invite us, to show us, you and me who didn't have the luxury of seeing and touching Jesus the way the disciples did, this story is here for us to show us that Jesus is present with us in the Eucharist. When we take bread, bless it, break it, and share it. Luke wants us in the early church to see in this story that this is how we can come to see and touch and know Jesus too. In a world where we often don't recognize him, on a journey that is sometimes filled with grief and dashed hopes. No matter what we're facing, Luke wants us to have this story so that we will always know to come home, to come back to the dinner table, to meet Jesus in the breaking of bread. Now, many of you will remember a time not so long ago when it was not the pattern of the Episcopal Church to celebrate the Eucharist every week. In fact, what we're doing right now, morning prayer on Sunday morning, was the order of the day three times a month. But since 1979, as Episcopalians, we have been a people who gather together to share every week in this sacrament of bread and wine. And we believe that when we do that, Jesus is fully present with us and that we too can see him and know him and touch him in the sacrament, in the breaking and sharing of our communion bread. So this week, I had to sort of put off writing this sermon because I am so sad that we can't be together to break that bread because my heart and my body ache for this meal, for the sacred space that we create together, for the ways that we know Jesus together when we share in that communion. Because there is something special that happens to us when we come to the table, no matter where the table is, whether it's at camp or on the side of a mountain or in a hospital room or in a foreign country or in someone else's living room or in our space at church. If we come to this meal regularly as someone who wants to know Jesus, it becomes something special for us, something that is life-giving and life-confirming. It's one of the ways that I know I'm alive. And it's one of the ways that I know where my place is in the family of things, if I can borrow some words from Mary Oliver. The Eucharist binds us up. It makes us one family, one people. It connects us to God and to each other, and it reminds us that in the family of things, we are equal. Each of us come forward with our hands out to receive the same bread, the same grace, in the same measure. And this meal promises us, us a future, a feast that has been prepared for each one of us since the foundations of the world. And I miss it. 
And very specifically, I miss sharing it with you. And like the disciples, I needed Jesus to show up this week and cut through my own grief, through the disappointment that I feel, through the sadness and the difficulties of this journey that I know that you are experiencing and that we are sharing together. I needed Jesus to open my eyes this week before I could write this sermon so that I could see him on the road with us. Because the truth is, it's not only in the breaking of the bread that Jesus is present in this text. Jesus is actually with them the whole time. He's on the road with them. He's on the journey. In fact, he meets them right where they are. He meets them in the midst of their grief and their despair. He doesn't wait for them to get to Emmaus so that he can just appear at the table and break bread. He doesn't wait for them to eventually find their way back to Jerusalem because they heard the good news from someone else. He goes out to meet them on the road. And while he's there, he loves them. He teaches them. He forms them. And later, as they look back at that journey, at that walk they took with him, they acknowledge that their hearts were burning inside of them. They couldn't feel it in the moment. They couldn't pay enough attention to it in the moment because of their grief, but he was there the whole time. And he was changing them. And then when they ask him to stay, he does. They invite him in and he stays. And my friends, this is very good news. This is good news for our journey, for this life and for this season. Jesus is with you too, even if you can't see him. Even if you miss him in the moment. How many of us can look back at other days and moments in our lives when we needed help or when we felt loved and notice that sort of strange warmth in our hearts? It was in those moments that Jesus was teaching us, guiding us, when God was intervening on our behalf. Jesus comes to us where we are, in the middle of the road. He isn't afraid of the dust of the journey or the weight of the grief that we may carry. He isn't afraid of the trappings of quarantine or of the losses that we're experiencing. He comes to take the trip with us, to point us toward hope while he does that, and to meet us in the midst of whatever we're carrying. And the blessing of that is that if we ask him to stay, he will. He'll come in and take a seat at our tables, in our homes, to eat and to pray and to stay. I'm convinced this morning that even in the midst of, of grief and sadness and loss and anxiety and uncertainty, that we can still know him in other ways. And we have in this time, many of us, in all of the virtual ways that we are worshiping and connecting. And still there will be more opportunities for that in the next couple of weeks to learn and to connect and to find him and to be found by him on the road. And like the disciples, you have work to do. You have hope to sow. You have good news to share, gifts and a story and meaning that will make a difference to the people around you who are also in the midst of this wilderness time. Even now, he is coming to you. Even now on the road, he is calling to you. Invite him in, and he will stay with you. He will pull up a chair and wait with you, keep watch with you, cook dinner, deliver ice cream, and homeschool the kids with you. Notice the ways that he is coming to you now, reaching for you. Be careful. Because if you let him, he'll teach you things that you could never have imagined. 
And when we gather together again, you might find that your heart has been both warmed and changed. And our communion together, our knowing him and meeting him together in the bread of the Eucharist, on that day when we can finally safely celebrate that meal together again, then our communion will be so full and so sweet. The day is coming. He is risen. Amen.